We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of American Gigolo on February 1st, 1980. It was written and directed by Paul Schrader and released by Paramount. Debbie Harry's Call Me was written for this movie. Yeah. I, I was like wondering, boy, they sure are playing this song an awful lot. Yeah, and various <laughs> remixes of it over the course of the movie. The entire score is derived from her song. Um, it was originally offered to Christopher Reeves and John Travolta. Reeves was offered a million, Travolta was offered two million, and both of them turned it down. They eventually got Richard Gere for 35000 uh, plus back-end wow. percentage, so depending on what the deal was. Well, I, I think I read, too, that... Travolta was signed on, and they had suits made for him. Right. And then when he when he left, he's like, "I'm taking these suits with me." Yeah. He, <laughs> so he was gonna play the character, and Julie Christie, who wanted to do the movie with Richard Gere, dropped out because she didn't want to work with John Travolta. And then when John Travolta left the film, they couldn't get her to come back when they got Richard Gere back. So, um, so she stayed gone. Um, she was gonna play obviously the Michelle part. And Jessica Lange and Meryl Streep also both turned down the Michelle role. Uh, I could definitely see Jessica Lange. In that I could role. see Jessica Lange yeah. doing. It. I don't think I don't think it's a Meryl Streep role, really. No. Uh, but very weirdly, so this is a list of other people that were considered for Julian: Chevy Chase, Harrison Ford. What? Ch- Chevy Chase. Yeah, Chevy Chase was one of them. This is clearly not a comedy. Not only that, but he has three movies already this year, so his schedule was screwed anyway. Um, but Harrison Ford, who I don't feel like. No. Is right for it either, especially like exactly between Star Wars and Indiana yeah, Jones. Yeah, that's not Mel Gibson, who I could see maybe pulling it off. This was maybe. like his, around the time of Mad Max coming out. So yeah, he was he was really young at that point. So yeah. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone were both considered. I don't know if they were ever actually approached with it. Hmm. Yeah, no. I, honestly, I actually think Stallone is the only person I can picture in this role. See, like honestly, I, I feel like Richard Gere out of all those people is the best. No, fit. I think Gere is yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah. But but of these five, I think Stallone is the only one that would would feel right for the character. Um, the budget for the entire film was five point five million, and uh, as recently as twenty sixteen. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer was discussing plans to adapt it for Showtime as a series with Neil LeBute writing. Who I really like Neil LeBute, but um, Wait, I don't it think was, it ever it happened. Was, it was a five point five million dollar budget, and they were going to give two of that. To well, two. I think the budget changed when they took Travolta out of it. Oh, okay, because right, Gear wasn't as big a name, and also when you lose Julie Christie or Meryl Streep, then you're not. It's not going to be the same thing. Who's Julie Christie? Uh, she was in Doctor Zhivago. Um, she was in that, uh, uh, what's her name? The, uh, Sally Salt, uh, the away, away from her or something like that. The movie about the, the woman with Alzheimer's. When you said Sally Salt, my brain just went to Sarah Pauly. Sarah Pauly, that's exactly what my brain That's what I'm saying. Sarah Pauly directed it. Oh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. No, that, I was referencing Adventures of Barry. Okay, okay. I just wanted to be sure. I thought it was like. No, she is also a film director in her own right. Of course. Um. I think it's called Away From Her. Okay. And it's about 
Alzheimer's and she's like, it's about an elderly couple and uh, she plays the, the wife. Um, but she's great. She has an Oscar, but I forget what for. Um, Darling, maybe? Never heard of it. But yeah, we, we get the Call Me song right in the very first shot. We're like basically jumping into a music video for Call Me um, as he's just driving around. And he goes to visit Annie, who is essentially his pimp. Mm-hmm. Or, or a former pimp. I, I get the feeling like he, he's kind of semi-independent, but does a lot of favors for people. Yeah, but then later on she acts like she's like offended that he worked with anyone else. Like, right. like she's supposed to have exclusive rights to him. But their deal seems to be a 50-50 split, which he's trying to change the percentage. And right. she's like, no, no, that's not going to happen. But she has some like super rich person coming in later in the week and he needs to learn Swedish so that he can talk to this person Uh, I have to say uh, sorry just like taking a step back to the opening credits yeah I I have such a hard time now reading cursive because I haven't actually (laughs) had to read cursive one one of the names I forget the uh, what was her name Nina Van Pallant I almost couldn't even read it. Yeah, and, and it's like it's almost like a Disney-esque kind of cursive. Well, yeah, it's not like it's actual cursive. It's like a cursive font, so it's yeah. just especially well. It wasn't. It wasn't even read. necessarily a font because it was animating like it was being signed on the right. screen. Yeah. So it was like but, it wasn't just fading in. So that was making it even harder because it's like you don't have the whole name to start with. And it's also black text with a white outline versus white text with a black outline, which yeah. is a little bit easier to read. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, I can't. I can't read any of these I don't names. know who any of these I don't know are. how any of these people approved these credits where you can't <laughs> read who they are. Yeah. But I was surprised to see Bruckheimer in there. Yeah, I, I was yeah. too. I, that's, like, that's like my second note. I was like, Bruckheimer, question mark. Yeah, because it, it does not feel like um, one of his movies because they're all typically like not as cerebral, like action type stuff. Yeah, what was he making at this time? Uh, well, because like uh, Beverly Hills Cop would be like a couple years later. It was 84. Yeah. Which is funny because it came out the same year as Ghostbusters and Eddie Murphy was going to play Winston and he turned it down and Ghostbusters went on to be the second highest grossing movie of the year, but he turned it down for Beverly Hills Cop was was the highest grossing movie of the year. So it's like, okay, well, good choice, I guess. But yeah, so he's, uh, he meets with Anne and he tells her he wants to change the deal and she says, no, no, it's 50-50 and keep practicing your Swedish and you're going to meet this woman. You're going to pick her up from the airport or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets a call from Leon, who is a friend of his who needs a substitute. Well, he's not, he's not just a friend. He is, right. he is a former, I don't know if he's a former pimp, but he's definitely... Someone else he's gotten work through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when he was, I think, more exclusively to the male yes. crowd. Which he is not, uh, that's not his, his specialty at this point. He's, Correct. He seems to be exclusively going for older women mm-hmm. specifically like wealthy older women um and he's made it very clear to leon that he he's not looking for gay customers anymore and he's exclusively women at this point but he says hey somebody canceled on me and i need you to fill in and it's up in like <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> I need you to fill in but he needs to like drive all the way up to palm springs which is also like way out of his right right his territory his jurisdiction right <laughs> Okay, so Jerry Bruckheimer. Yes. Uh, this is the first movie on the list that I've even heard of of his. Uh, looks like he started producing in 75. Uh, I, I've, I've never heard of Defiance, but that was the same year. Is that I've heard of the remake. Wait, is Defiance the one that they remade with Jodie Foster? 
Um, about the defiance... woman who gets attacked, and or is that the one with uh, James Bond in the woods? Yeah, that's James Bond in the woods, but that's like even. I don't know if that's. I don't think that's related. No, no okay. I don't think this has anything to do with that. Um, but then, uh, so this was like, the, so this was his first big movie. Oh, okay. And then, uh, I mean, he, he had a, he had a couple more, but I, I hadn't heard of any of these. Um, but then he did, uh, Flashdance in 83. Okay. Uh, Beverly, Beverly Hills, Hills Cop, Cop in, in 84, Top Gun in 86, uh, Days of Thunder in That was 90. when he started working with Tony yeah. Scott and yeah. Don Simpson. Yeah. A lot. He also did a movie called Cat People. Oh yeah. That's, that's, that's a Paul- remake of, uh, an old movie. And Paul Schrader, who directed this movie, directed Cat People. Oh, did he really? Yeah. But uh, I was I, I I have heard of Cat People, this this one here from '82. But I always confuse it with uh, Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, which also has cat people, <laughs> but like the more literal, like anthropomorphic cat people. <laughs> um, Anne has another client, uh, Mrs. Dobrin, who needs to be picked up tonight, um, and. He poses basically as a chauffeur and takes her to her room. And then he's like, oh, can I open your champagne? And she's like, uh, you're going to get a tip. You don't have to open. He's like, no, 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 that's not that's not what I was doing. Like, I just wanted to have a drink with you. And then she catches on like, oh, she hired you for this. So this was a little confusing to me because, like, I figured that most of the clientele would know what well, they've ordered. I think she yeah. knew that she had this coming, but she didn't realize that it was the same person as her chauffeur. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I think that's the implication is that she's, she assumed these would be two different jobs that she that people would be hired for, and she wasn't expecting her chauffeur to also be the gigolo that she was getting. Okay. But then she's like, oh, well, let's go to a fancy restaurant where all the celebrities hang out. And so he's like, all right, well, we can go here, 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 and just throws out some random choices, and then he takes her to the restaurant. We don't see any of their date together, but he basically calls up Anne after the date and says mm-hmm. oh we're gonna meet again tomorrow afternoon and then he hangs out at the bar to like try and find independent I mean, clients yeah and he's like checking out all the the booths and and there's like one that has three older ladies in it that are clearly this checking them out and like kind of like uber or lyft when you're just kind of you know exactly. strolling around yeah, town exactly. waiting, you have waiting the to light pick on. up your next uh... <laughs> or is the light on or off when you're looking for a ride i don't know well that doesn't work like that with ride share you use the nap yeah but i thought the light still meant something doesn't mean something it, if it's red it means you, you stop you i think it means part. you're you're active and working okay but yeah so he sees a woman by herself that uh is she ordering in french or why does he assume that she doesn't speak english right off the bat um yeah i think she 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 makes some or she orders something in french and he goes and starts speaking french to her but because he assumes that she's like a tourist and that he can chat her up in her language and impress her right and talk her into a business deal. Is this before or after the Ryman? The this Ryman. Is before. This is before. This, this is before. Yeah. Okay. So um, he sits down at the table with her, and they chat for a while, and then she meant she starts speaking in English, and he's like, "Oh, I thought you were uh, French." And right. She's, D- disappointed that she's yeah, not because because it just means that like oh she's like she's not as easy a mark as he thought he was going to yeah. have, um, and she mentions that her husband's in politics and she doesn't get enough attention from him. And he's like, all right, bye. <laughs> like, this is not what I thought it was, so I'll talk to you later. Because she immediately picks up on the fact that he's a gigolo and is, like, already trying to, like, very, like, bluntly ask for his services. And mm-hmm. he's like, no, 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 that's not how this works. But um, I don't know why he's turning her down, though. Is Because he does it for love. 
no, no, no. Oh, no. no, he does it for money. <laughs> why, is it, why is it in these Richard Gere movies with prostitutes that everyone's doing it for love instead of money? Uh, I imagine it's because she might be potentially high profile. Like yeah. if something, if he someone, assumed she was nobody, and it turns out she's someone very important. Yeah, like if he's seen with her, it you know if he's, he could be seen oh, with with random women, but his style, I don't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So, the the next day he drives up to Palm Springs. The following ah. the following afternoon, um, and it takes him all day to get from Beverly Hills to Palm Springs, which mm. you know if it's a weekday, it maybe. could. Um. But and there's like he's on dirt roads and stuff driving through farmland. It's yeah, like, there's yeah, none yeah. of that between Beverly Hills and Palm Springs. Yeah, because well, uh, this was this was 1980 though. Yeah, but there between was... Beverly Hills and the freeway, there's not farm even then. I don't know. The valley wasn't wasn't all. Well, he could have just taken now. the one on one straight to the five. Nah. I don't know. Either way, I think it was just to give something to look at while he's driving. Yeah. Um, he gets to the customer's house and. A guy answers the door, and he's already pissed off at Leon. Like, okay, I said no guy stuff, so and no couples, right? That's also a rule. Was that a rule that he said with Leon beforehand? Um, I don't know if it, that was a rule he established with Leon, but he made it clear to the guys like I don't do couples. Yeah, and it's the like, guy's like, "It's okay, I'm just gonna watch." Yeah, yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, that's fine." Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's, so, that's, a, that's a horse so of a different color. So he basically. <laughs> A whore of a different color. <laughs> um, These so, puns are going to be amazing. <laughs> so he he walks him into the bedroom where uh, his wife is like naked under the sheets on the bed, and he just gets to work, starts mm-hmm. grabbing her, and, and to work. the guy's like talking him through it, like yeah. step by step, like no, turn her, turn her around, no. You have to be on this side. Now move over here. It, it's kind of like that scene in True Lies, only he's being horrible <laughs> yeah it's more like the scene in uh american psycho when he's telling the two <laughs> prostitutes what to do to each other um but then he tells her or he tells uh julian to smack his wife and then we cut out of the scene that's yeah. the last thing we see there um so the next day uh he meets leon at some outdoor restaurant it gives him his cut of the rate for that um that visit and uh, when he gets home, Michelle just shows up at his house. Well, he but he gets mad at, at Leon here. He does. Because he, he was like, you know, I like, told you. I told you get, I don't do yeah. gay stuff. I don't do couples. Well, like, he said, yeah, was it like a dirty trick or something like that? Yeah, he, he says that, that he, he was a rough, rough. Yeah, rough trick. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's like, look, yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen. And we needed a sub at the last second. But you got your money and. We're, we're done here. And it was supposed to be a lot, like, I think, relative to his other gigs, right? right. But like, he was still splitting it 50-50. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so uh, he gets he gives Leon his cut and goes home, and Michelle shows up at the house. Apparently, she's been following him since he left the restaurant, or at least long enough to figure yeah, out where the, he lives. Well, that's super creepy because, you know, like, she knocks on his door, and, you know, he's like, how do you find me? And he, and she's like, oh, it wasn't hard. And then they, like, move on with the conversation. Yeah. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. No, hold on. Like, Actually, hang on. I changed my mind. I actually do care. Let's yeah. <laughs> go over those details. <laughs> um, and then they sleep together with, that, with very little uh, on the way to that. It's just... They have a bit of a flirtatious conversation next to a bookshelf, and then suddenly they are, mm-hmm. they're in bed together. And then, well, she wanted to engage his services, though. So they, right. this was still a professional transaction. She's a very at pushy customer. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I think you're right that the implication is that he's still getting paid for this interaction. Yeah. yeah well, she and and she uses the f word quite a lot to describe. And their it seems like it really bothers him. When she yeah. Does it. 
Like he's like, whoa, this is a little vulgar. <laughs> How dare you talk <laughs> kiss to your a mother with that mouth? Like that. <laughs> anyway, last night I was slapping this lady around at uh, her husband's request. <laughs> Uh, and I like the next morning that he's just like having phone sex with another client while yeah, she's while like, she's there in the bed with him. And then he like, orders breakfast. It's so because it, it's so matter of fact. <laughs> like, let me put my client on hold while I order you breakfast. Go back to my conversation. Um, but yeah, so and the next day he goes to like a pre-auction viewing with Mrs. Sloan, and uh, he's basically flirting with this woman over stuff that's going to go up for auction that night. And uh, they bump into Mrs. Laudner, who is played by uh, by Francis Bergen. Um, and she, I, it seems like he, Mrs. Sloan doesn't want Mrs. Laudner to know that he's a gigolo. And that she has engaged his services for this, like, day Well, yeah. Date. I mean, it becomes clear clear later that, like, she, she, she doesn't want her husband to know about this relationship that she has. So I think she's keeping it private overall to everyone. Right. But later on, he is a gigolo for Mrs. Laudner. So it's like, either she just straight up told her, yeah, that I hired that guy that was with me. Because he's on a date with that other woman. Yeah, see? Okay. Later I guess the, I missed that. Later in the film. But yeah, so he's with Mrs. Sloan, um, and they bump into Mrs. Laudner and talk for a while. But yeah, so the next day he's sitting out in his front yard and he reads that uh, the Ryman woman has been murdered. And so this isn't, this is the morning after the murder, but he was with them the previous night. He wasn't there the night that she was murdered. He was there the night before she was murdered. Okay, Um, I don't. Yeah, so I'm totally not following this. So he, so he go, he goes out with the old lady, and then which old lady? Because they're all old. Uh, <laughs> the the one what she chauffeured for, and then he met yes he met uh, Michelle Michelle the right. same night. Those two were on the That's same the night. same night. The and next then the, the next day he goes to the Ryman house, right, and slaps that woman around. And that's the only thing he does that. That's day. That's the only thing he does that yeah. day. The next day he goes to the auction house. Yes, that's the night that the woman gets murdered. Okay. We don't see it, but he went home with Mrs. Sloan after the auction house and stayed with her the whole night. Gotcha. I thought he stayed with Michelle that night. The... No, he didn't. Okay. So wait, is that the is that the woman he pretends to be like the gay decorator yes. with? Yes. Okay. So he went home with her that night. He then... went home with her that night. Okay. Then um the next day he is out in front of his house and he's reading that the woman was murdered. And Michelle walks up to him in, in the courtyard in front of his building. Um, and they go inside and uh, they have a conversation just about, like, she fills him in a little bit more about her situation with her husband and that she's still in town and she wants to continue this relationship. Um, and then Sunday enters mm-hmm. and starts interrogating people. First, he's interrogating uh, Detective Sunday is interrogating Mr. Ryman, because obviously that's who you talk to first. Right. And he says, well, we had a, a gigolo at the house. Like, he basically gets that much out of him because he's trying to make it clear that, no, I didn't do this. And they're like, well, then it was someone else who had access to your house. Who else did you have around? Mm-hmm. And he says, we had this guy come in on uh, Monday night or whenever it would have been. Uh, Sunday goes to find Julian and says, where were you on Tuesday? And he says, I was at, with a friend at a pre-auction viewing, which he was. And he stayed with her the whole night. Right. Well, he was reluctant to give her name, though. Yeah, he did give her name, but he also said she's an important woman and she appreciates her privacy. So let's 
keep this on the down low, right. basically. So then that night after he talks with Sunday is the night that he takes Mrs. Laudner, who the Francis Bergen character that he met at the auction, to this probably $1,000 plate dinner to see the senator speak. And after they have their meal, they actually get to do like a handshake. Yeah, meet and greet. And when he goes to shake the senator's hand, he realizes that Michelle is the senator's wife. And so when she said her husband was in politics, she's literally a senator. And not like a state senator, but like a congressional senator. I feel like she lied to him, though, because didn't she say he was a senator in New York and now they're here in California? Like, seems she made it sound like he was in a different state. I think she just said that he was in New York, but I don't know if that was to be implied that. He... Oh, maybe she didn't. Mean because he I was think a he, he is a California. State. Yeah, they. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's yeah. like they. He's supposed to be a California senator, but I. I thought she. She was like saying that he was. Maybe she in implied that. Either way, he seems caught off guard by it. Well, I think is weird about this situation is that after Sunday, they they like go down to like a restaurant and have a talk. Right. A very frank discussion about who he is and what he does. Yeah. And uh, he's not arresting him, but he's letting him know that... Well, he's, he's not part of like the vice team. He's with Homicide. Right. But he's letting him know that you're a person of interest, don't leave town, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But he's still allowed to like kind of like come and go as he pleases to like the senator's wife, knowing that he's being followed. Yeah. And being investigated. It's just like... He, they seem to they, they're awful gracious with the amount of leeway that they get. Him. Well, I think they're waiting until they have something that they can actually hold him for, because otherwise you're you're wasting your your habeas corpus window. Yeah, Julian basically catches Michelle following him the next day. <laughs> like, but there's like no payoff the, to that. Yeah, yeah, in the weirdest possible way. Like yeah. she's like she's like strolling down the street in like sunglasses and a hat. Like and a couple times he turns around and looks at her dead on, and, and she thinks like, oh, he still probably didn't see me and hides again. Yeah, very weird. Like that that she thought she got away with that, and mm-hmm. that he never really called it out. Yeah, it's just she's just following him. They go into a record store, and then he's like, oh, hey, fancy meeting you here, and she's like, oh, hi, yeah, I was just. Gonna get a record. Um, you want to have sex again? <laughs> yeah, and then they do. Um, and then uh, Julian is encountered by Sunday while he's like being fitted for some clothes or something, and he tells Detective Sunday to stop bothering his clients. Yeah, because he's causing problems. Or he's getting a shoe shine. Right. Yeah, but he's in like a dressing room. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sunday shows him some pictures of the scene of the murder. To give him an idea of exactly what happened. And he's obviously horrified by it. Um, but then by the time Julian gets home. He finds out that the police have. Like gone through all of his stuff. His yeah. landlady is like. Sorry they were here for two hours. I tried to get a hold of you. and But I couldn't stop them. They had a warrant. I couldn't stop them. So they totally trashed his home. Um, and we find out later that they did find something here. Yeah they found the handcuffs that she was bound with right but see but this is again this is like what i'm talking about how gracious they are oh we found these handcuffs it's like so well they have mrs ryman's like blood is like did you find the jewels no we haven't found the jewels and like richard gear is like even damn like yeah like, like like it's so casual and and his... well it wasn't when he says damn it's for the license plate yeah but when yeah he's like he's like yeah i read i read the paper i know that there were some jewels stolen too if you didn't find the jewels then 
someone out there still has the jewels and whoever has them, that's going to be the person you're looking for. And that's whether he's trying to convince that this is a frame up. And while the police may not be convinced, they agree that it's better for him to be out there because then whoever's going to frame him is going to. Yeah, they're more likely to catch to. him if they're. Yeah. So. Um, so Julian goes to Anne's house and tells her everything that happened. And she's like, well, I heard that you went to Leon and that's kind of your problem, basically. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then he tells Michelle everything because he just wants to get all the information out there for everybody. Right. He's trying. It's he's like a very lazy detective. Yeah. He's trying to piece things together, but he really is just giving so more information aloof than about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, he gets called in for a lineup because there was a witness that said that they saw him come up to the Ryman house. Um, and so he's in a lineup with four other guys and he lies it, to one of the guys. Well, in the I lineup. feel like that's a really, so it's a strange thing when he, when he tells the other guys in the lineup that he's getting paid for it. Like, I don't understand what he, he's trying to like el- elicit some sort of reaction from that. He just yeah. wants to distract the person who's supposed to pick someone out of the lineup and draw attention away from himself because he did go there just not the night of the murder. Yeah. So he's worried that this witness is going to pick him out of the lineup because he was there but he didn't do it. So, so he's trying he to... just wants some guy yeah. to be mm-hmm. making a scene. Yeah. So after he, he tells one of the other guys on the lineup, oh, what are you, how much are you getting for this? Uh, the drunk guy's getting 15. I'm getting 10. Sounds like they're paying people different. The wine was getting 20. You're kidding. You ain't getting paid. You're getting screwed. Shit. What the fuck is going on here? Is my lawyer here? Apparently enough to distract the woman. Right, because she yeah. didn't pick the right person. Well, she she picked the right person, but then she changed her mind a couple of times. Um, but uh, Sunday doesn't tell him that when they first bring him in. They're like, so the witness was able to identify you. And he's like, that's impossible. Like, how could they possibly identify me? I wasn't there that night. And he's like, and then she switched to number one. And then she switched to you. And then, she, like, she lost track of what she was doing. But we still, you know, we have these handcuffs. That we found at your place. And he says, did you find the jewels? And did the witness see a license plate? He's like, no. She didn't get a license plate on the car. And he's like, damn. Because he's really frustrated that someone is getting off the hook with this. Um, although, if I were him, I would just be assuming that Mr. Ryman did it. because yeah. Well, that's what I assumed the whole time. But, so, But everyone keeps saying, oh, he's got an alibi. It's like, can we know what this alibi is, yeah, please? The audience it? needs yeah. to have this information. I would like to, to write him off as the potential suspect here. I mean, the, they don't really imply, they. I mean, they do sort of imply who's framing him, but they never really say who actually did the murder. Right. Well, they eventually they do. But yeah, in this scene, it's still not covered. But then um, Sunday says that, you. by the way, the woman you said you were with, she says she wasn't with you on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. She says that you guys were at that auction, but that you left early in the afternoon and the murder happened at 10, so... There's plenty of time for you to get to the Ryman house to commit this murder. And so he's like, well, that's not true. So he goes to her house. Right, um, but she's not going to admit it. Right, her husband's, she's not going to Her husband's it. standing right there. But her husband also knows what happened. And he says, you're lying. And he says, how do you... He said, I know you're lying. And he said, how do you know I'm lying if, if it actually happened? And he says, because I was here with my wife the entire night. Because he's giving his wife an alibi oh, to yeah. extract her from the situation. Yeah. Because he he knows what his wife did, but he doesn't care enough to get her entangled in a murder investigation. Right. So he's like, no, no, no. We were here the whole time. 
you figure out another alibi. Plus, this is also spite against him for right. leaving with his wife. It's like, oh, hey, you're, you're yeah. going to go to jail. There's no order. reason for me to do you any favors at this point. Um, so uh, now he's walking down the street, again, being followed by someone very poorly trailing yeah. him. Um, but this guy's like, he's like, he thinks he's a PI, but he's being very obvious because he's just like a senator's aide. He's not yeah, actually. He's, he's, a, he's probably an intern. But I love that that the entire like interrogation of this guy occurs next to the Warriors ad, which is also a Paramount. Paramount yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, this is very well framed. Yeah. I feel like that's in, it's intentional too that there's like a diagonal line of spray paint across it because they were like, is this too much of a poster for our other movie to <laughs> throw him up against? Let's just paint over it. So that it looks at least like it's been graffiti. You so know how that stuff banner. goes. It's just like, what do we have the rights to? What can we put in the background here? I, also, oh, I know this movie. But I also feel like like Warriors specifically is a poster that I would expect to see spray paint over on purpose. Like, right. Because that's kind of the aesthetic of the whole movie. Um, but he throws him up against this Warriors poster and goes through the guy's wallet to find out that he works for Senator Stratton, the guy that is Michelle's the husband of husband. Michelle. Yeah. And... Uh, and he says, look, if Stratton wants to talk to me, he could just call me. And he writes his phone number on the guy's head <laughs> and then shoves him towards the sidewalk, but clearly shoved the actor harder than he meant to. Well, and the guy almost the, eats it. Yeah, the guy the guy slips and falls down and it doesn't, I mean, it, it looks like it was unintentional yeah. and he legitimately fell down. Yeah. But they both stay in character um, and the aide runs off. So we move to the senator's house presumably or some kind of ground yeah, yeah wherever like he's he, staying maybe it's the office or something um and the two of them are uh, julian and the senator are having a straight-up conversation where the senator says i figured out what happened you met us that night at the at the benefit and you saw my wife and you were being investigated for a murder so you decided that you would insert yourself into our relationship and then blackmail her for money and he doesn't say, no, I met your wife a couple nights earlier right. before the murder even happened. He just he just says, that's not it at all. You don't understand what's happening. And he said, look, like, like my how, wife's stupid, but I'm not. Yeah. And How much never to see her again. Yeah. And you, you don't come anywhere near my wife again. And I'm not going to pay you any amount of money that you're going to try to blackmail me. Um, but how much money? <laughs> but how much? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he, I can just see Richard, you're almost doing Dr. Evil. Five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is a senator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even, even in 1980s money, $5,000 isn't that much. He got, he, he was getting three to go out to the Ryman's That's house. That's a thousandth of the budget of this movie. <laughs> you could make one thousandth of this movie for that much money. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, he says, stop seeing my wife. And uh, that's basically the end of their conversation here. And then he goes out looking for Leon because he says, okay, my alibi fell apart. You need to get me a new alibi. But it's there's, it's not an alibi tree. You can't just go to the alibi store and yeah. be like, oh, I'm just going to find another person who says that you're with them because the cops aren't going to buy it because you already gave them your alibi and it already well, fell through. But in, but in theory, like this guy, you know, should feel some sort of responsibility. Because but he, he doesn't. Well, he no. doesn't, but and we know why. But, yeah. you know, but at this point, you know, Julian's still like, hey, you know, you made me do this. You need to help me get out of this. Yeah, the whole point of you being my pimp is you're supposed to find me like a hassle-free way to earn the money. That's what you're, where your 50% comes from. And so if you're not going to give me an alibi, at least give me the other half of the money back because this is not paying off for me. Um, and uh, 
he says, well, you know, I'll work on it. It's going to take a couple of days to figure something out, but I'll try and find an alibi for you. But uh, he spots one of the new the new boys, this right. little blonde uh, blonde guy going up the stairs. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think he might even just be credited as like blonde guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, he sees him again at his home's parking lot. Right. And he now he's suspecting that that there's been stuff planted in his house. Right. Yeah. He starts um, ripping everything. Well, apart. just before that, he he meets up with Michelle again, even though he was told very specifically to leave michelle alone and to never see her again and he's like hey why don't we go for a jog let's go outside where the senator's aide or camera people might be even though i was told very specifically to stay away from you and they go outside and she says i'm going away i'm leaving the country um because the senator's just sending her out of the country so that this whole murder investigation can finish and she can be kept out of any problems um and that's when he decides like okay uh, this isn't going to happen again. And he goes through the whole house and basically tears it up 10 times worse than what the police did before deciding maybe it's not in the house. Maybe it's in the car. And then he goes down to the car and just starts ripping his car apart. Which which I don't understand because doesn't he arrive in his car when he sees the other guy leaving? Well, we don't know exactly when things were planted there. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, then he tears his car completely apart. Yeah. He's, like, ripping the engine head off, and then he's, like, tearing the door open. Yeah. And he's even, like, ripping the plastic seal on the inside of the door. And it's like, well, isn't the whole point of the seal that you would know if right. it had been tampered with? I mean, I guess you could conceivably replace the seal. But then he gets under the car and finds just a bag of jewels taped to the bottom mm-hmm. of the car. Yeah. Which, if I the cops like... found it there, they wouldn't be like... Oh, yeah, I'm sure he just taped a bag of jewels to the bottom of the car and drove around like that. Yeah, it's very odd. Like, they could very easily just fall off if you hit a speed bump or something. I feel like I would have checked there before I started ripping pieces off of the inside of the door. I don't know where I would have checked. He seems, like, methed out at this point. He probably mm. hasn't slept in, like, three days, and he's kind of going crazy. Is, is this the point at which we get the, the sitting on the bed, putting on the, or taking off the tie scene? Like, uh, he, not quite yet. Oh, okay. Um, or no, sorry. Yeah, You're he correct. he rips he rips his house apart, and he after he finds the jewels, he goes back upstairs, and, and he like and he like sits on the bed like super depressed, like taking his tie off, you know, really slowly. But we know that it's really really slowly because well, the blinds, you know, are like the light is shifting through the blinds, mm-hmm. like like time like he's is standing passing there for three hours, <laughs> very slowly putting on a tie. So his next stop is to go to Anne and say. Look, I'm in a lot of trouble, and I can't go to anybody else. I need your help. I need you to set me up with an alibi because Leon's not doing it. And she says, you stood up my person, the big wig, the expensive person that was going to come in and speak only Swedish. She got to the airport. She couldn't speak to anybody, and everything went wrong. And it but, was just... I mean, it seems like he legit forgot because he's got all this murder, murder stuff, stuff happening. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I don't know if you heard what I said. I'm being investigated for murder. And she's like, so you stood me up? She's like, right. yeah, I could care less about your murder investigation. Well, I mean, we're we're seeing now, like, he didn't care much about their friendship, and now she doesn't care much about his. Yeah. So everyone's he, cutting him loose. Yeah. So he decides, okay, well, then I'm going to go back to Leon. But Michelle is there at the restaurant. Yeah. Like, I was like, wait, what is she doing? She's there? just constantly following him in this movie. <laughs> Everywhere so he goes, she's right around the corner. And it's not a coincidence because we already know she just follows him on the street. Yeah. Because she's the worst spy ever. But uh, he goes to Leon's house, and <laughs> Leon's like, yeah, I still can't help you with your uh, your alibi. And the blonde kid 
goes out the door mm-hmm. while they're arguing. And uh, then Leon basically admits to everything like, yeah, no, I set you up because I don't like you. And uh, and you were frameable. Yeah. yeah. And it, it needed to happen and I got a lot of money out of it and I'm, I don't regret it. And there's literally nothing you can do at this point because the cops have you dead to rights and you don't have an alibi. And he loses it and pushes Leon over a balcony. He like changes his mind at the last second and tries to grab him, but he can't hold on to him. And his boots slip through his... Well, I don't know if he intended to push him over the edge of the balcony. I think he intended to attack him and, mm-hmm. yeah, and kind of but... just fell over the balcony. And that balcony is not regulation height. It was like like a two and a half, three foot balcony. Yeah, it was like right up really? to your hip. It was like perfect Counter-top for pushing height. someone over. Yeah, his counters are really weird in his apartment. <laughs> Everything was weird in the apartment. Yeah. But it was the 80s. It was yeah, another time. I guess. It looks very like Tony Montana decorated. Um, but that's the 80s. And uh, yeah, so Leon is dead now. Yeah. Leon falls from the third or fourth story of this building and just splats on the ground. And then Richard Gere looks down and he sees his car pull out of the parking structure. Presumably the blonde kid is driving it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he just sits down on the couch. He's yeah, he's like, just well, like, oh, I'm yeah, done. I'm just okay. going to stay here now. <laughs> it's a single jeopardy. I've officially committed the murder that I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, accused of. And uh, then we just cut to him. Uh, being walked into a courthouse by police. He's already been arrested. And my, yeah, the, the, the paparazzi are all over him. Yeah. Um, I love... Uh, so this is like a like a weird thing. And did you look up Michelle's lawyer? Um, the lawyer. Uh, yes, <laughs> I did actually. William Dozer? Yeah, I was like... I was, I was just like looking up random people. Oh, who's this guy? I was like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> so he he was the executive producer of the Adam West Batman series. Okay. And the movie. But also the narrator that goes, Meanwhile, at the Batcave, <laughs> <laughs> the Joker's up to his old tricks. Will the Cave Crusader arrive in time? Next week, Burgess Meredith with a new penguin ploy. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like this it's like such a random cast. Um, but yeah, so... He's, at, he's in jail, and the cops are like, all right, we just need more information. We need to know what's happening. Why? How is this Leon guy involved, and why did you bother go to this place? And he's just not going to cooperate. He says he's not going to tell them anything. And uh, then, and, and they don't actually care about Leon anymore because apparently some someone testified. The maid, the maid said she saw what happened or something like that. And that like, she, he was trying to that save him. he tried him. to save him. Yeah. I was like, where was this maid? Was she in? Was there a maid in the apartment? Maybe she was in the next building over. <laughs> she saw what happened. But yeah, but the fact that they're not going to, you know, prosecute the 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 Leon thing, you know, mm-hmm. just like, well, but then you should still keep fighting this. Like, we're not yeah. going to arrest you for the murder that you admitted to. We're going to arrest you for the murder that you claim you didn't do. Yeah, because now you have the jewels in your hand. Yes, <laughs> but yeah. So then Michelle goes to the police, and basically. Tells them she's the alibi. Yeah. She says, he was with me that whole night. And uh, because she just wants to protect him because she loves him. And she goes to speak with him uh, in the, you know, the glass wall. Which is weird when he goes, when he's being interrogated by the police. He's he's sitting across, like there's a glass window. But it's only like two feet tall. Mm-hmm. And everything is completely open on top of it. It's like, what is the point of this glass? Yeah. Is this just a sneeze guard? Because he could <laughs> jump over it and attack them if he wanted to. Well, and also, like, doesn't the cop come to, like, take him back? And and he says no. And the cop goes, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is happening? But then when he's actually sitting in, like, the booth holding up the phone, like, waiting for his visitor, 
Michelle sits down and says, hey, I told them that you were with me the whole night and I'm prepared to like throw my marriage and my husband's political career under yep. the bus to defend you from this uh, murder accusation. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry so that it took me so long to come to you. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. It's uh, very unsatisfying. Weird place finish. to end. Well, the whole the whole second half of the third act is nothing but fade outs. Yeah. It just keeps fading out. I guess to, I guess to, to show the passage of time. But it feels very like Return of the Kingy, where you're yeah. just like, is that is that the end? No, that's not no. the end. Oh, is that? Okay, so it's going to end with him sitting on the couch. Oh, no, it's not the end. Oh, he's getting arrested. Okay, that's oh, yeah. the end. Oh, wait, no, there's more. Okay, they're going to another scene. And then they end it where it's like, wait. No, that's the end? I yes. need more now. Yeah, we need to hear what happened. Yeah. At least put text up, you know, all the president's men's dial and tell me what happened after this. Richard Gere was killed by exiting prison. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I think, the, I think the whole, their whole relationship is a little odd too because he's supposed to be sort of this like, you know, really confident, you know, cocky guy. That's why the people, that's why his pimps don't like him, you yeah. know? And and then this woman comes along who just seems really desperate, clingy, needy, who's like stalking him. And he seems to be really into it for some reason. This movie never has like what I would call traditional excitement. Like... The, the graph of this is just very slowly incline and then a very slow decline. I, yeah. I was like, why isn't like Hector Elizondo who plays Sunday like, like I want like this big dramatic scene, but there's no, there's yeah, no. Yeah, I wanted him big... to be like Willem Dafoe in, uh, in the Boondock scenes. Yeah. Just like, like reenacting everything and like engaging a whole but police station full of people. Everyone is so cordial yeah. to him. And he's just allowed to roam around and do and, whatever. And he no likes. matter how much shit like Richard Gere throws in his face, he's just like, Haha, "Yeah, you're right. I do dress stupid. I have an ugly face." <laughs> Most obviously, you dress for shit. Anybody can fix that. No problem. It's your face. Face. Bad face. And your body. What's wrong with your body? You have back problems. You look like a monkey sitting there. Which, by the way, this is like the youngest I've seen Hector Elizondo in anything. Well, and he got better looking with age. He definitely did. Yeah. Although it was funny because when we were watching it, I was like, I don't know if it's just the gap in the teeth, but he looks so much like Paul Shear to me. Like, <laughs> I wanted to play Paul Shear's dad in something, but I was like, he must have gotten his teeth fixed. And then we looked up a recent picture. It's like, no, 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 he still has the gap. But he just like has a very Paul Shear shaped face. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's great. And they are they are in two more movies after this, uh, Pretty Woman and Runaway Bride. Um, Hector Elizondo. Yeah, Hector Elizondo and, and Richard and Gere. Richard Gere yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's obviously done a lot of voice acting. Hector Elizondo. Mm-hmm. I I do have to say though, because I've you know I've seen those other Richard Gere movies where he's older, and you know I never really understood his appeal. And you know now that I've seen this one, I'm like, oh no, he was really attractive. Richard Gere. Yeah. I feel like this is this feels like a David Caruso type Richard Gere, like yeah. a little bit of an asshole. Like uh, I've never seen Richard Gere this mean, and he's not even that mean in this movie. Yeah, but he's he's never had any kind of attitude, and he's never been short with anybody. And uh, I, I liked that though. Like yeah, I thought, no, like, I thought that was a great like character choice. It's for more him. believable, I think. Yeah. Um. Obviously, writer director Paul Schrader we talked about uh, in our last episode, but he. Wrote Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, Last Temptation, Bringing Out the Dead, so four Scorsese movies on top of other stuff that he's done. Um, Richard Gere, obviously Pretty Woman, somewhere down the line. What is that, late 80s, early 90s? For Pretty Woman? Yeah. Uh, That has to be 90s, right? Or maybe 89 at the most? Obviously Chicago 
And uh, apparently he was in a remake of Breathless. I didn't realize that. 1990 for Pretty Woman. 1990. Okay, so right in the middle. Oh, don't forget that. And I I, I really enjoyed the Mothman prophecies. Oh, yeah, that's good. The movie's pretty weird. I like Will Patton in that movie. (laughs) He's such a weird, crazy old man character actor. Um, Bill Duke, who plays Leon. Oh, from uh, Predator. Yeah, from Predator. We had to bring up his role in Predator. I mean, that's just the the anytime. Yeah. Uh, What, is he Mac? uh, I think he's Mac. I think he's Mac, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he's great. He, he's a character actor. Like, uh, we were just talking about the X-Men movies pretty recently and like the, oh, he right. played Bolivar Trask in X3, but then later in yeah, the... Yeah, in X5, <laughs> if you want to call Days of Future Past X5, yeah, it's in the Peter pa- Dinklage <laughs> playing in the same continuity yeah, the playing same. this like six foot two black guy as being played by a white dwarf <laughs> star because he is a star. Yeah. Um, I get it. But he hasn't shown up yet in the MCU. I don't think they've even mentioned Trask in the MCU. That won't be until they introduce introduce the mutants, mm-hmm. probably. Um, but yeah, he's great. It, it always reminds me of um, that Carl Weathers bit on Saturday Night Live when he's like, after the successful governor campaigns of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse the Body Ventura, I've decided that I am also running for office. <laughs> Who am I, you ask? I'm the black guy from Predator. <laughs> now I know what you're thinking. Wasn't Danny Glover the black guy from Predator? No, that was Predator 2. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's not the only black guy from Predator because nope. Bill Duke's in <laughs> Bill Duke's also in Predator. And just um, that the whole thing where, oh, God, Bill Duke, he's so great when he's like shaving himself dry, just <laughs> digging the razor into his face. Yeah. It's just like, man, this guy's great. Uh, Michelle in this film is played by Lauren Hutton who I didn't really recognize, um, but she was Aggie Maybank in Gator, which is that uh, the Burt Reynolds movie that right, I keep right, right. to watch, the Burt Gator and White Lightning double feature. And uh, she also plays the Countess in Once Bitten. Yeah. <laughs> which uh, <laughs> is, a, is a weird movie for me. I, I remember like after, the, what was it, 94, when Jim Carrey just exploded. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I have to look up everything this guy's done. Like I, I was already a In Living Color fan, mm-hmm. but I was like, I need to watch every movie that he's ever done. And Once Bitten is just one of the weird ones. Yeah. Um, but she's great in that. And she's basically playing like just a supermodel type vampire woman. Yeah. Um, uh, Nina Van Pallant, who plays Anne, the the pimp, is uh, I, she's Eileen Wade in The Long Goodbye, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and she also has a soundtrack credit on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Really? Um, I'm not clear on what she did for the soundtrack, but I thought that was interesting. Um, Lisa, which character is Lisa? Lisa? Lisa, Lisa, Lisa Williams. Yeah. Uh, she was one of, uh, one of the clients that he goes to see. Lisa Williams is. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was one of the other girls at the at the house. Maybe it was someone else at the house, because like, um, I don't think I think we've mentioned all the last names of the older women that he had as clients. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't remember who Lisa Williams was in this, but apparently she was Martha Kent on The Adventures of Lois and Clark, and uh, she's also in Ryan Johnson's new murder mystery movie Knives Out. Oh. So that's cool, um, and Frances Bergen obviously is Candace's mother, and uh, she's famous for appearing in season one, episode nine, "Slow Death" of <laughs> MacGyver. Yeah, everyone's yeah. favorite series. 
totally famous for that. I think that was nine. I don't remember the number now. Slow death. That, but that's the train one, right? Right. They took You'll only for... be a hindrance. <laughs> she was like this woman's mom and she was really mean. And we're going to go on a lot of uh, MacGyver tangents over the course of this podcast because we've watched every episode of that for a previous podcast. Um, one of my big things was about this movie was I really thought that I hated the soundtrack. Yeah. But then I loved the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I like this soundtrack is amazing 80 synth and I couldn't like... I was like, can I get this on vinyl? Is this possible? Because uh, I really enjoyed it. I, like I, I also they, they couldn't help played... but sing the lyrics every well, time. Well, I was going to say, they only played the actual song itself right at the beginning. Otherwise, yeah. it was just like mixed just into instrumental the... And, yeah, it was yeah. instrumental in the score and stuff like that. And, and they varied it depending on the mood of the scene. Yeah, it slowed it down. Yeah. But, but, you know, but this was the composer who did Flashdance and Top Gun. So it, it's Brookheimer's just... guy. Yeah. Giorgio Moroder. Yeah. You got tons of music credits only because like Take My Breath Away uh, and the NeverEnding Story theme and like like all these songs that are just reused over and over and over yeah. again. Um, I feel like if it had stuck it out and finished the murder investigation that I probably would have enjoyed it more. It, was, it, was, yeah. it wasn't even that long a movie. It was very slow, but it was only an hour and a half. And if, I feel like they could have put another 15, 20 minutes to wrap up the story in yeah. some way. Yeah, And it would have gone a long way. You could even have trimmed a little bit of the uh, of the lead up just to get that ending bit in there. And... I'm thinking of other Schrader movies even like Taxi Driver and, uh, and Raging Bull. Both of them like cover what happened to the people after the climax of the movies. Mm-hmm. So... Just it feels like out of character for him to leave it off here, unless that wasn't his decision in the past. Yeah, I'm assuming like the big climax of this movie is Leon dying. I mean, I guess yeah, and and everything, but everything after that is just these slow, quiet. He doesn't want to talk. Yeah, he doesn't we don't even talk. get to see Mrs. Ryman murdered. <laughs> that has to happen off screen. Yeah. I kept thinking that the twist was going to be that he did murder her. Yeah, and I was waiting the, for that the, too. When the woman's husband like is like, I was here with her the whole night, and then he's like. Oh, Wednesday. Like that. I did murder that woman. (laughs) Uh, Because he does drugs a couple of times. Right. And he seems very erratic for the second half of this movie. Mm -hmm. I thought like it's possible he literally like blocked it completely out of his head. personalities. Or or... even that he just did it and he wanted to convince people with his performance and it turns out we're just watching a sociopath. Yeah. Um, But that's not where the film goes. All of those things would have made this a more interesting movie. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it plays out a little bit more straightforward, like a, a little bit closer to a real life situation than what we would have wanted. Um, how do you think this is aged? Honestly, I, I think that it ages fine as far as just like filmmaking and, and, and what have you. Like, I don't, I don't feel like, oh boy, you can't say that now. Like, I don't feel like anything, if anything, it feels like a very progressive movie. Yeah, yeah. It, I it, agree. It talks about the gay it's, community. Yeah. It talks about him struggling with being formerly homosexual or maybe he never was or was he or is he still yeah. now we, we're not really sure where he swings on that like he's struggling with it twenty dollars is twenty dollars yeah exactly uh but so i think it i think it brings up a lot of interesting ideas that were probably very taboo in the 80s and maybe a little bit easier to swallow nowadays there's there's multiple places where in interviews when asked what drew him to the role he specifically said the the homosexual undertones mm-hmm. interested him because he'd never done anything like that before and he never like 
he didn't really know a lot about it. So that was apparently what drew him to the, to the part that I think might have actually driven Travolta away from the part. Yeah, yeah was, that I, makes sense. Is, when you're reading off those people, I was just like, I don't really see them being opposed to it, but at the same time, I don't really see them being as comfortable. Like, Yeah, and I know like, Travolta like had stuff like that later in his career, but I think mm-hmm. at the time he was coming off of you know Saturday Night Fever and Grease and everything, and he was like a massive sex symbol, and maybe he thought that this would like change his reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I think uh, in terms of what we've had so far in 1980, that the cinematography here is probably the best that we've had in yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go with that. Just really interesting lighting. So, what do we think of this movie? Is this worth uh, worth watching? I I don't think I'd bother. I actually don't think so either, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm on the fence, but I think I'm going to have to give that a, a no. Yeah. As much as it did for Richard Gere uh, in his career of the gear. And but... Schrader's great, but this isn't this isn't his best work. So, yeah, I don't I don't think it's necessary viewing. I think this podcast has enough information for you <laughs> just listen to our podcast don't watch movies yeah no no who needs movies just listen to us you can't watch movies on the freeway yet <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they start those autonomous vehicles we're oh no up. we have to sabotage self-driving cars so that people will listen to us i'm gonna sell all my tesla stock right now <laughs> you should too listeners um letterboxd where do you think jess where does this go on your list uh, I think I'm going to put it second. I'm going to put it after my brilliant career, but ahead of Simon. Uh, I have to agree. <laughs> so our, our list will continue to be identical. Okay. Well, I'm going to veer off the path here again. Uh, I'm going to actually put it one step down, just under Simon, but above uh, To All a Good Night. Because uh, I enjoyed more of Simon than I enjoyed of this movie. But I didn't hate this movie. I feel like a lot of these are going to be, we're going to be steadily like putting things under things because most of the movies that are on our bottom are going to stay there. Yeah, that's probably true. I, I, I think that, that there will be some movies that make might get, might squeeze in around around them, but I think most things are going to be above our bottom three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's also because we're obviously, as any year does, starting in January where everything gets dumped that yeah. either wasn't worthwhile for awards season or that they couldn't find a solid place for and didn't belong in the summer. Mm. So that's why we have kind of a slog ahead of us at the beginning of the year getting into the summer season. And then we'll have like 20 blockbusters in a row and then it's slow again for a while. And then we have awards season and then we're back in January. Um, but yeah. We should, um, we should have started our year in the summer. Well, didn't it used to? Didn't it used to start in... <laughs> Our fi- oh, well, March. We should have started it at the fiscal year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that's it for this one. Uh, if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. Uh, please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you find the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. And if you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through Patreon at patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join us next time when we will be discussing John Carpenter's The Fog, which Wikipedia describes as a supernatural horror film directed by John Carpenter, who also co-wrote the screenplay and created the music for the film. It stars Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tom Atkins, Janet Lee, and Hal Holbrook. We leave you now with the 
audio to the trailer for John Carpenter's The Fog. John Carpenter's The Fog. This is K.A.B. Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. We're 100 years old today. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unnatural came out of the fog. Now it has returned. ago between midnight and one something evil came out of the fog now it has returned Who's there? the fog antonio bay has a curse on it we're all cursed there's no water getting here but something off a cold pin i think i'll go to vancouver now Where's the fog now? Well, it should be right outside my door now. Oh, there's something different about this fog. Dan, stay away from the door! Someone listen to me! Get inside and lock your doors. Close your windows. There's something in the fog. from the fog. <laughs> from the creator of Halloween, the ultimate experience in terror and suspense. John Carpenter's The Fog, starring Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Houseman, Janet Lee as Kathy Williams, and Hal Holbrook as Father Malone. The fog. What you can't see won't hurt you. It will kill you. Between midnight and one, it will find you.